Time for us to have a little chat with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. And I guess we're based braced for bad news today about yeah. overdose deaths. Yeah, It sounds like it. So th- that's the regular announcement, but this is a bigger one, right? This is like a year-end tally? Yes. So coroner, Chief Coroner Lisa LaPointe, uh, press conference at the legislature building at noon today, giving us the numbers for overdose deaths last year. Now, this time last year, uh, when she put out the stats, she reported that uh, we'd gotten a little better in uh, 2022 than in 2021. There was a drop, about 1%, but with that struggle, everyone counts, right? But I just note that, you know, her year-end uh, news release on this subject warned there'd been a spike in deaths in the fall, and it looked as if BC was on track for, I wouldn't call it a record, <laughs> to exceed uh, last year's number, that 2023 would probably be the worst year in BC history for overdose death, overdose deaths, and that is saying something. So last year's number was 20, nearly 2,300. The previous year was a little over 2,300, and I don't know where we'll be today, and I'm not going to try to guess, but uh, I wouldn't expect good news. As you know, Simi, Lisa LaPointe is nearing the end of her term. She announced late last year she wasn't going to seek another term, she'd retire. And of course, she expressed disappointment that the government had not embraced the recommendation of her critical uh, review panel of deaths. The panel had recommended prescription-free access to safe supply drugs, and the government turned it down on the spot. Okay, so let's talk about the announcement today and why it's so interesting, like what's happening. Well, she's going to say, you know, what what happened. And as I said, unless things have dramatically changed from late last month, uh, I assume uh, it's going to be pretty discouraging numbers. Uh, I expect she'll make some comments as well, expanding on her disappointment that the government hasn't taken key advice. Um, the other thing to note is that she's at noon and the Minister uh, for Addictions and Mental Health uh, it's got a news conference in Chilliwack at 1.30. Now, Jennifer Whiteside, uh, that ministry in the past has made announcements. Usually when the coroner gives us numbers every month. And usually the ministry responds with a news release where it wrings its hands over the lack of progress and promises to do better. Uh, the fact that, that Whiteside's got an actual press conference today may suggest that the government is recognizing that it needs to do more. It was Whiteside who rejected out of hand the call for prescription-free access to safe supply drugs. She said that was not in the cards. So I, I don't know what the government could say today, but my guess, since she's got a news conference, she's going to say something. She recognizes that the government's got to do more and say it's going to do more. So uh, there'll be some news today on this. Uh, I would uh, be delighted to be surprised that it's good news as well as bad news, but there have been no indications uh, of anything other than another bad year last year uh, with drug overdoses.
And we still haven't gotten an update on the kind of the government response to that court no. injunction, right? Yeah. So, you know, again, next week, Simi, we're going to be doing stories on the anniversary of uh, BC's experiment, quote marks, with decriminalization. Um, if the numbers are as bad as they're as indicated, we'll certainly be noting that, that uh, safe supply decriminalization hasn't turned the corner yet on overdose deaths. But the other thing that's up in the air now, the BC government brought in this law last fall that limited open drug use around bus stops and children's playgrounds and a lot of other places that the public would agree with. And the court, right at the end of last year, Chief Justice, BC Supreme Court, issued an injunction temporary against that law. The government has expressed disappointment and dismay, and the premier himself has been critical of the decision. But, Simi, it'll be a month this weekend since that decision came down, and the government still hasn't responded. And that tells me they are scrambling to figure out what the heck to do about this court ruling. So that's gone on, do you think, longer than we expected? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, when the government is sure of its legal position, you will usually hear fairly quickly, OK, we're going to appeal this or OK, we're going to live with this, but we're going to change the law and the regulations. Those were the two obvious responses. We've heard neither. The premier talked about this last week. He got asked about it again. He expressed disappointment at the judgment, and he turned to the attorney general who was there with him, Nikki Sharma, and said, do you want to add anything to this? And she just shook her head, no. Her ministry is still studying that judgment. The essence of what the court found, the court found that the restrictions that the new Democrats were impose, opposing or imposing that those restrictions, and I'll remind you that one of the restrictions was no open drug use within 15 meters of a playground, no open drug use within six meters of a bus stop. And the judge said that was too much of an infringement of, on the rights of drug users to take drugs openly and publicly. So... You can see why the government was knocked back by it. I don't think they expected that decision. Um, we'll see. I assume uh, they're gonna, we're going to hear fairly soon the response uh, because the clock is ticking on going to the appeal court or the government would have to change its legislation or change the regulations to address the court decision. All right, we're back talking with Von Palmer this morning. We're going to discuss the topic of critical minerals because the government's all of a sudden talking about this. And Von, why is that? Yeah, critical minerals, you'll see a lot of references to it these days. They are central to the transition to a green, lower emissions economy because critical minerals are the things we need to dig out of the earth to make electric vehicles, to make rechargeable batteries, and a lot of the other high technology that goes into, uh, as I say, that transition. So the obvious ones are copper and nickel, but there are rare earths. There's a whole bunch of other molybdenum, other minerals, and BC has a lot of them. Canada has a lot of them, uh, 16 key critical minerals, according to a federal government report, and BC has a lot of those. So the premier this week uh, to the Mining Exploration Association said, we've got a critical mineral strategy. Phase one took the wraps off of it. So 
it's the kind of thing you'd expect from a government that wants to get things going on that. They acknowledge that it's slow to get permits here in BC, so they're going to make permitting easier. Uh, acknowledge that you need partnerships with First Nations, so the government's going to provide some resources for that. Acknowledges some regulatory obstacles to getting going on it. Uh, the government is trying to make it easier to explore for critical minerals as well as develop the mine. So phase one announced. And, you know, the initial reaction from the industry is, uh, thank you so much, you're on the right track. But, Simi, I would note too, BC is a relatively late arrival and there's still a pretty big gap according to the industry, in the government's response. Okay, so what, what has the industry said about this? Well, the first thing they said is, as I said, they said, thank you. Right. Uh, and they said, you're on the right track. But they said, look, Ontario and Quebec were there. Ontario's strategy deals for dates from 2022. Uh, Quebec is back then too, so BC is a late arrival. And the second thing they said is, look, fundamental thing you still have to address here in British Columbia is it's more expensive to develop a mine here. So that's already true because of our geology and our geography and First Nations consultation and regulations and environmental regulations, all that, it's already more expensive. But there's an emerging problem with the carbon tax. British Columbia's carbon tax is being applied on industries like mining at a higher level than Ontario and Quebec. Independent analysis suggests that it's going to be two or three times more expensive here because our competitive provinces back east, Ontario and Quebec, have protected the industry and ensured that it will remain competitive internationally. And that comes down to scarce dollars for investment. You're going to thinking of doing a mine in British Columbia or Ontario or Quebec. If it's cost, more cost-effective to go back there, that's where the dollars will go. So the industry's warning that phase one is a good beginning, but the government really needs to face up to this challenge. The New Democrats have not done yet, really, Simi, which is that our carbon tax is being applied at a higher level than other jurisdictions, and you're, you know, you're selling this stuff on the international market so at international prices. So when... A company is analyzing the cost of developing a mine in British Columbia. They already know it's more expensive for some reasons, regulations, geography, geology. If it's also more expensive because of the carbon tax, they're probably going to put their dollars elsewhere. Initial indications are that they're already doing that. Investment in mining is growing faster in Ontario than it is here in B.C. Okay, so then is this just a signal from the provincial government that they are, more is coming, or or did, was this it? You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the New <laughs> Democrats, we've seen the same kind of thing in forestry, right? The, the government talks a very good line about mass timber construction and about forestry still having a future in British Columbia and about all of that. But when you look at the mandate letters for the ministers, when you look at the policies that are coming out, there's far more government priority in regulation, environmental regulation, uh, obstacles like the carbon tax, which they're not considering waiving. Uh, yes, they say, yes, well, our industries need to be competitive, so we need to protect them. But the actual action on that front, we've not seen. Simi, okay, 
there's a budget coming up in February, and that's usually where governments announce tax relief and rebates and changes around taxes. So it's possible that this is in the works. It is hard reading through the government's policies on, say, mining, to some degree on forestry as well, and find actual substantive changes. You find a lot of talk about that, but you don't see the actual results. And look, if you're thinking of investing your company's dollars in a new mill or a new mine, uh, you're going to look at the cost effectiveness and the board of directors is going to go, yeah, well, I hear they're talking a good line there, but they haven't really made their industry more competitive on the carbon tax yet. I feel like a lot of this is all these announcements, all this discussion puts a lot of pressure on this upcoming provincial budget then, Vaughn. There'll be a lot of expectations that, oh, well, there must be more coming in the budget. Yeah, there will be, uh, Simi. I think that's true. Uh, the other thing, of course, is it's an election year and in an election year, you can get away with a certain amount of talk about what you're going to do and vote for us and we'll do this and all that. I mean, you're not going to see substantive results on this file or other files before October the 19th. This is about looking down the road. And I also think, Simi, that explains why the industry was fairly polite in its response they know they may be dealing with this government after October 19th. In fact, if you look at the opinion polls, they probably will be. So the forest industry is careful and the forest industry isn't, you know, cutting off the government. You saw Canfor uh, invest last year, announce it will invest $200 million in a new mill uh, in Houston. So, you know, the industry is recognizing it may well have to be playing with this government or dealing with this government for the next four years. So they're trying to tell the government, hey, you should be aware of this problem. Ontario and Quebec are ahead of us on this. We've got to keep up. And as I said, that's a fairly polite right. message. Privately, I think you find that some people in the industry are worried that the government's going to do the same kind of things to them that it's already done to forestry. Right. Okay. Thank you for that, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Simi. <laughs> 